Hey, welcome to Gen X Voice. Nobody asked us, so let's get our voices heard. Written off years ago as the Slacker generation, we actually have brought a lot to the world behind the scenes. Now we need to bridge two opposing generations and make sure non-Karen voices are heard. I'm your host, Trish The Dish, and I'm going to interview Gen Xers being rad and doing cool shit in the world. You can follow me at Gen X Voice on Instagram, Twitter, and Spotify. Check out other podcasts, videos, and blogs at genxvoice.com. Even though the focus of this platform will be to celebrate Generation X, the goal is to interview as many people as possible from lots of generations, backgrounds, and experiences. Let's unpack some of our differences and attempt to discover what truly ties us all together. With so much division and pain in the world today, instead of shutting people down for their age or other features outside of their control, let's listen to these voices and discover common ground so we can come together and create a better world for all. I don't want to be an army one. Hey, Vicki, can you hear me? I can hear you beautifully. Can you hear me? I can. I can hear you beautifully, too. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh my goodness, yes. This is very, very exciting to talk to you. But you know what I was thinking about today when I was walking my dog? I was thinking about Dandy. Oh, Lordy. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. And how crazy that dog was. I loved that dog. I I did too. I still do. I still think about her all the time. Do you really? Yeah. We just put down another dog in the family, and, and my oldest daughter was her first dog ever. She was just heartbroken. I've never seen her so emotional in my whole life. Oh, my gosh. How old was the dog? Only two years old, but it bit both of her boys, like, within a span of five minutes. Oh, my gosh. Was it adopted? Um, it was rescued. They went to, you know, and rescued. It was a, it was a bulldog, and those poor bulldogs shouldn't be existing anyway. They've been so bred to be miserable, miserable little animals, you know, unhealthy. Oh, you mean like how they can't breathe and yeah, stuff? Yeah, it's just awful. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways. Oh my gosh, yes. that's terrible. I had to put down, so I got a dog when I first moved here. I know. And I had to put um, put her down, and that was so hard, and I only knew her for two years. Oh, how like, come you had to put her down? She, was, she had um, a tumor on her gallbladder. Oh, can you even imagine that? No, not a two-year-old dog. That's so sad. Yeah. Or no, no, she was ten. Oh, she was ten. Oh, you only had her for two years. I see. She was a rescue as well, Uh, and she was such an incredible journey adventure pal. Like, oh my god, they are great too. So I'm really, I'm really thankful for my my dog now. But she, the reason why I started thinking about Dandy is because she kind of gets a little excited when she sees dogs and I was like oh my gosh like how hard is it to like control a dog that doesn't get socialized a lot because of COVID we're not out at the dog park right exactly right right I was like she gonna get as bad as Dandy (laughs) oh well I mean Dandy had some serious um issues from you know growing up bullied by dogs so if your dog wasn't she, she you know I I I think that just like we, every single dog is so different. And it's amazing how well they can be trained. How old is your dog now that you have? She's she's going to be three years old in a couple weeks. Okay, okay. And I've had her since she was seven weeks old. And oh. So she's oh, well, then she's good if she's just a little 
frisky around animals. She's not going to be aggressive like Dandy ever. <laughs> well, that makes me that yeah. makes me feel a little better. Oh, but yeah. yeah. But so when I talk to you, it's like I I don't feel like you are older than me. I feel like we're in the same age group. How how old are you, Vicky? I am sixty two. You're 62. I am 62. I turned 62 this year, and uh, it's it's bizarre. Is it really? Yes. Yes. Getting old is is uh, definitely um, something that should be talked about. It should be like it should be a common conversation of how people look at it and how we deal with it and what we think about it. And um, but yes, definitely, it is very weird. I feel very young though. I mean, I actually feel better health-wise than I have my entire life. Really? Yes. So much well, healthier. The, what, what, did you have what they call midlife crisis? Did you at 40 go, wow, I suddenly feel older? And then how does that feel at 62 or 60? I never had a midlife crisis. I had a midlife new career. I started teaching at midlife. And so I felt actually pretty much like, I don't know. No, I never had a midlife crisis. I'm not even having an old life crisis. <laughs> I feel like, I, was, I mean, this sounds so cheesy, but I really do feel like I'm getting younger all the time and more energetic and more uh, motivated. What in the world do you think that is? I don't know. It could be the shrooms that I'm microdosing. It's hard to say. <laughs> Wait a minute. Are you really doing that? Yeah, yeah. Whoa. <laughs> um, but I have been doing a lot of research, and I don't think that's the reason I feel this way, Trish. I've only done the microdosing for the last couple of months. So do you, I mean, for lack of better words, the generation pocket that you're put in is baby boomer. Do you think the acceptance of legalization of marijuana, microdosing with mushrooms, um, even there's talk about microdosing with MDMA, which is ecstasy, all acid, LSD, do you think it's because your generation is now in a period of their lives where um, they don't have the same responsibilities they did when they were like... Um, you know, in their thirties and forties and fifties, do you think that, do you think that has anything to do with that acceptance of these, what we used to be, you know, just say no, stay away from drugs. Um, do I think the baby boomers having more time on their hands is some, has something to do with this greater acceptance today? Kind of. Um, I, I don't, I wouldn't say that I, but you know, I'm limited to believing what I know based on my own research. I've been, uh, there's a movie out called fantastic fungi and it was put out by a, a scientist named Paul Stamets, who is a real hippie at heart, totally. And he's all over the internet and he, um, but he's also worked with the government and they are very, very deep in research on using mycelium, which is fungi, which is, you know, what mushrooms are made of, uh, for cures all over the world. I mean, penicillin was made from mold and mushrooms are basically mold. Um, so there's just been a resurgence of, of, um, books written and research done that has pulled out some of the stuff that was done in the sixties 
until it got outlawed by the crazy laws that came into being. They were doing incredible studies using these drugs and these um, natural occurring things like mushrooms for um, mental health and, and schizophrenia and all kinds of things. And they were having great success. And then the war on drugs happened. And the people started tripping in the streets and falling out of windows because, you know, I mean, those things can happen, of course. So that's really basically the reason I think it's happening is because there has been uh, just people who have continued to research and study and won't let go of these things. Mm -hmm. Well, see, and that's why I like talking to you is because whenever I want to shift it into the direction of a generation, something happening because of a generation. Yeah you're able to look at it as like, well, actually it's a much bigger thing than that. But let me ask you this, coming into the classroom at 40 years old, I just kind of want to go back to that for a second, yeah. because you're, you're coming into an environment, you're a high school teacher. What was that like coming in to a classroom full of what we consider millennials? Well, my daughters were millennials, all three of them. So they were in high school when I started. Victoria was a freshman and Christina was a um, junior. So for me, I was teaching my kids friends. and it Because it, mm-hmm. it was at the same school. They attended the same school. Yes. So, and, and to be honest with you, in those days, you know, it's an interesting thing that you have picked the generation gap as your focus. Um, because I, too, believe there there's huge things involved in it and things that should be looked at and understood, but you could pick from a long list of gaps that help you to understand why people are the way they are. And you could add to that, you know, gender and age and race and sexual orientation and sibling um, birth order. And you could read about any of these things, including generational traits and get very, very um, focused that it's those things that make the cause and effect of everything. But really, it's a huge Petri dish of all of those things thrown into the mix. So the generational issue is a part of it, you know. Mm-hmm. But did you feel, it, you didn't feel intimidated or anything because you were basically you already knew these kids. Yeah, no, I never thought of them as a generation named something. Uh, I didn't even try to understand it back in those days. And I was certainly not intimidated by them. They were my kids and my kids' friends. I felt much younger and more in tune with millennials, probably because they were my kids and they were the age of, you know, that I'd been raising and teaching for years. So I think that didn't happen, but it's odd that you asked that because I can jump forward to this past four years and beginning to realize that the generational gap between me and this new generation was huge, had started becoming bigger than I wanted to deal with, bigger than I cared to find out where they came from. I How so? Um, cultural references were no longer working in my classroom. And you know how much I love teaching culture. And I would do the Beatles in German at Valentine's Day. And for 15 years, that worked. And in these last five years, kids looked at me like, who the hell are the Beatles? Um, Right. You know, I I work with someone who is 23, had never heard of the doors. mm -hmm. It blew my mind. Yes. And I, you mentioned that in your video and I will say that that too differs. It's not so much, 
I think each generation will either be exposed to music through their parents and their families and their family friends and become savvy about the greats of all time, or they won't, and they'll just stick to their own generation's music. Um, my kids went hog wild on 60s and 70s music. I mean, Victoria taught me, I didn't know who Queen was when Queen came out. You know, she she was the person who taught us everything. And she went back and did. Well, that was the 80s, That though. was, but she that went was- to all of the generations and really, man, she knew her music. And she's super into, um, you know, the big bands of the past. Uh, so I think that's kind of also individual and the influence that you get, whether or not. But yes, this new generation has not been. Um, but then again, I had this great student who knew every word to, um, you know, Welcome, Bienvenue, Welcome. What was that? Cabaret. To Cabaret, oh, Cabaret. And he'd come into class every day singing Cabaret. And I knew Cabaret. And so he and I were forever singing together. And that always blew my mind. So I, I think it's really hard to just point it at a generation that doesn't know something. I think it really depends on that person within that setting. Um, I have begun more and more, though, to to see that the big broad strokes that we can characterize people with are just big broad strokes. And that you have to really get to know them to see where what really makes them tick. So what you're doing is awesome because you're saying this broad stroke can cause a lot of to me, I feel like you're saying these broad strokes in life between age and race and ideology can cause a lot of problems. But man, the minute you get to know somebody, you realize that it, it isn't really what we thought. You know, it's really the problem is conversational gaps. Let's talk about a huge conversation gap that we have in this world. So was that something that you noticed besides cultural differences with the, this last year of teaching? Yeah, these last couple of years, um, you know, I, I, I just, I mean, I, it's not so much that the gap made it such that I didn't want to teach. It's just that it was time for me to move on because for me to stay teaching this generation meant that I needed to really key into them and start over and do some really brand new things. And to be honest with you, I was ready to move on. I didn't want to do that anymore. I could have wrapped my head around this generation because kids are kids. And if you love them and care about them and talk to them, they don't care what generation you're in, you know? But I see that it's very interesting that even in our attempt to say that generations are just kind of a label, it seems like there is a point, though, where the experiences and the input, like, do you think that, you know, for lack of better name, because we don't know what's going to really stick yet, the iGen generation, do you think that they just, there's so much out there and so much to be exposed to musically with films, visually, art, um, that it's so different than when you and oh I were Oh my gosh, yes, up. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, how do you spend time just sitting on the internet, just randomly googling things and or do you think that that's kind of what you're saying is that in order to connect with them you would have to spend a certain amount of time being immersed in some of the things that they're exposed to maybe on the internet well maybe yeah i mean you know even let's just talk technology for instance um 
there were things that I could have been doing successfully in the last two years that I just didn't know technology had come that far. Um, but this is the interesting thing. I relied on my kids who I thought because they are supposedly so tech savvy, I relied on them to help me a lot. And I found out that they only know what they know. They, they really aren't that tech savvy. I mean, like, let's say they had to sit down and figure out the Zencaster this morning. It would have taken them any, you know, they might feel a little bit more comfortable going into a new format and getting it going, right? But by and large, I found that most of those kids needed me to still give them directions step by step when I wanted them to make a Padlet, for instance. Even though it's so user-friendly, they weren't, they only know what they know. They know their phones, they know their apps, they know what they use, And we get this idea that that just makes them generically savvy about the whole thing. And that's not really true. And some of them hate technology. Some of them absolutely hate it. Don't want anything to do with it. Do you ever cringe when someone is like, what? uh, Oh, you're let me take care of that. You don't really know technology because you're a boomer. Oh, it bothered me all the time. It, it, it bothered me, especially this past year because, um, that kind of generational accusations, those kinds of broad things bug me to no end. I mean, just to no end that I'm a baby boomer. So therefore I'm, I got my first computer when personal computers came out. We, my mom, dad gave us a choice. My sister and me, we were both married and had kids. Do you guys want a computer for Christmas or do you want a video recorder? What year was that? (sighs) Could it have already been, um, 88, 89, 90, whenever Apple and IBM and everybody started having their very first computers and they were these big bulky TV looking things, I got one like right at the beginning. Well, I got my first computer. I was, um, I was in fourth grade. So that would have been 1985. Okay. Then it had to have been in the late eighties that I got my first computer. Because I remember thinking to myself, you know, we were in this crazy church, which is another day, another topic. As my daughter, Victoria, will say, it is a cult. And I offend her horribly when I deny the fact that I don't like calling it a cult. But that's another story. But anyways, I didn't want them to be deprived of television and a lot of the things that I wouldn't have in my home at that time. Um, and have them also go to school and be like the last kids who figure out computers. I wanted them to have that cutting edge. That was really important to me because our church did not forbid computers. (laughs) Thank God for that. (laughs) Uh, When I began to see in these last two years that I just no longer felt, yeah, I felt a little bit like a dinosaur um, in their eyes. And, and, I just thought to myself, you know, it's just time for me. I don't have to be everything for every one of these kids who came through. And it's just time for me to move on. But I do remember the distinct dislike of every time something went wrong technologically, knowing that a few of the kids were going to just roll their eyes and go, oh, here it is again. Frau Aldani doesn't know what she's doing. Um, that really bugged me because the fact of the matter is, and you'd probably agree with me, Trish, is that technology goes crazy all the time. doesn't matter who's using it. You go to a big meeting and try to set up a video and the principal has done it 20 times and he can't get it to work that day. 
something goes awry and they would always treat it like it was, I was stupid. And the fact is the building's technology was always getting messed up. And that just started really bugging me because I love using technology. And do you think that it was happening more with this, these last couple of years? Because I'll tell you, when I was teaching next door to you in the French classroom, my students were doing that to me. And that was, you know, 11, 12 years ago. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But then I have to say again, let's, let's turn it around again to my, my underlying thing where I just feel like it isn't because of any one thing. I think it's more common to all humanity that teenagers, as they begin to become very, very good at things, they take on an attitude that old people are just idiots. This is not new. This is something my generation did. My kids' generation did it. Your generation did it. We all have this attitude towards adults when we're teenagers and and when we're in our 20s. We think we know. But do you think that your generation started it? Because you guys are the ones that first said, never trust anyone over 30. I personally think that if you go back into history, you will see that every young, youthful generation did that. I mean, unfortunately, I've read stories back from the Holocaust where young people would throw the aged off of trains, um, you know, just because they were old and this attitude amongst them that they were powerful because they were young. Um, This is not a new attitude. This is I don't think it was new with my generation. I bet you I could go back and show you this attitude 2000 years ago. But, history. It, but in the Native American culture, the older people in their community are revered as just these right. so then you, and knowledgeable. So then you, exactly. And so then you would compare all of the different cultures and where that attitude prevailed and where it didn't and where did this attitude come about that the young people think the old people are dead. Um, I would venture to say it came about already with the Greeks and the Romans and that it is a Western civilization issue because the, you know, we know the Asians are not like that, but it's a very interesting thing. I had an Asian cohort in my master's program and I was the oldest in the master's program. I was in my fifties. About how much older do you think? Uh, She was in her thirties. I was in my fifties and most of the kids were actually in their twenties, older twenties getting their master's. And this woman insisted that I give the gift to the professor that she bought and took the time to do. And it was her idea. And we all just chipped in and we got to the restaurant and she insisted I give it to them. Long story short, I had this fight with her like, no, I'm not giving your idea and your present and your thoughtfulness and taking it as my own. That's weird. I'm not doing that. Finally, she admitted to me that I was the oldest and she could not give it. I needed to for her because of the cultural. Yes. Yes. And it was so interesting to observe. And I was fine with that. I went, of course, if it makes you feel good, I I understand your reasoning. Thank you for telling me why you're saying this. Um, But I could also tell, and I've, I've noticed this with, with Asian friends that it's also an obligatory thing. They're very outwardly polite to all of their elders and would never say some of the things that Western kids would. Well, and maybe even specifically American kids. Oh, German kids are like that, too. Though. Oh, I mean, okay. Uh, French kids are like that. I've been to France and been treated worse by French teenagers than anybody else in the world. <laughs> so I, I think that that is a common thing. 
But I also find that the cultures where that's obligated, if they're not really taught the value of old age, then it's just tradition and it's just obligatory. And they just do it out of obligation and habit and tradition. So you see both, you know, a lot of things we do, people don't buy into and neither do cultures where they revered their elders, you know. Um, I think the native people were just good at that because their lives were like, if they had traditions, that was like what they sat around. That was like their life. They talked about it. They, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like they taught it to their children (laughs) and we don't, we have all kinds of traditions and we don't even teach our kids what the value of them is or what the hell we do these things for. Well, and it's like you said, you raised your children in um, a really different world where, you know, just to, to use the term cult, it wasn't your ancestry that you were sitting around and, and teaching your children. It was actually the the church that you belong to was doing that kind of for you. True, true. And, and it's funny that you say that because Rebecca this past year, oh no, Christina, I was talking to her about that's such a Germanic trait. And, and that's one like, of your daughters. Christina is your youngest. Yeah, she's my, my, she's my middle daughter. And she was... And she actually got really irritated with me for saying that, like, you know, not everything is German. I said, I didn't say it was German, honey. I said it was Germanic. And I thought you kind of understood my my teaching these past 10 years. I thought you and I talked about it. So if we hadn't, forgive me. I'm not trying to offend you by labeling somebody. But the fact is, white people, you know, especially the, the people who immigrated to the United States, they're either from Eastern Europe, Southern Europe, or they're Germanic. And that is all of Central Europe going all the way up to Scandinavia, all the way to the UK, and it includes France. Even though the French people, their language and their heritage now is more Latin, it was originally, you know, Germanic. And I, and I almost feel like we could go into a whole new podcast just talking about that. But unfortunately, we're getting close to 30 minutes, believe it or not. And so... We're going to do, um, I'm going to test out this thing with you of my rapid fire questions that I want to ask. So we're going to start with the, um, with the first one and that, and, and just don't even think about it. Just say it, just say it. What's your favorite memory from childhood? Uh, my parents coming to pick me up from Germany when I lived there for a year. What's your favorite eighties band or song? Uh, I didn't listen to music in the 80s, and that is not a lie. I love that answer, actually, because that's that's why you got to come back. We got to talk about that cult, that cult Mm -hmm. time. We sing, we sing Christian songs, you know. (laughs) Do you have a favorite 80s Christian band? An 80s Christian band, I would have to say my very favorite singer was Michael Card. And what about your, do you have a favorite 80s film? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Chariots of Fire. I love that movie. Um, why did you go to college? Well, you know, good question. My mom and dad kind of, my mother more or less demanded it. I'm not sure I would have if she hadn't. And what inspired you to go into teaching? Um, the fact that my daughters had such a phenomenal education here in Springfield. And when they got into high school and there was a possibility for a German, need for a German teacher, I decided that I wanted to give kids a teacher like my kids had had. And for the listeners, because there's 9,000 Springfields, we're talking specifically about Springfield, Illinois. What was your favorite band or musician as a kid? 
Oh man, Trish music was my life. That's a hard one to say favorite. So let's just, um, as a little kid, I, I, I'll just say turtles, the turtles. I love the turtles because it comes to mind, but really there's a hundred different things from my childhood. <laughs> right. And as a teen? And as a teen, um, well, you know, that's an interesting thing. I guess one of my very favorite musicians as a teen was Eric Clapton. And then here's something that, just to just to wrap this up, is um, what kind of advice would you give to someone in a different generation than yours? About what? About life. About How, how life. do you keep going in the darkness? Wow. And you want me to answer that in a sentence, huh? Um, because we do talk about this a lot. I would say if I had a person in front of me and I really could only answer in one sentence, I would tell them, you have all the answers inside you. Trust yourself. You'll, 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 you'll figure it out. You will figure it out every step of the way. Mickey, thank you so much. I have to have you come back um, because this is just such a tiny section of conversations that we have together. And I really hope that this inspires you to get your own project going. And, um, but for now, I'm going to have to let you go. Um, and I just really appreciate you and let's definitely schedule some time to talk on the phone together and then do this again together. Okay, Trish, my pleasure. Anytime. I loved it. It was awesome. Thank you for doing this. Thanks for listening. And if you think this is worth listening to, please subscribe, share, and leave a review. Be kind to each other, listen to each other, and let's stop being separated by our differences. I don't want to be